0: Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Let's get started on our lesson. Our theme this year is invest. It's, there's a banner in that corner and that corner and coming up the hallway. And we've been talking to you this year about invest. That's what we've been encouraging you to do to invest in a variety of ways and invest in worship, invest in a class, invest in a small group, invest in some volunteer with our local ministries, invest financially. And so today I just, I want to give you Five ways that you can invest and change the world. These are five things that you can do. Five things everybody in here can do. It doesn't matter your age, young or old, doesn't matter your gender, male or female, doesn't matter your theological background, doesn't matter your political background. They don't cost any money. These are all things that you need. These are things that someone else needs. These are things that have a great return. These all pay great dividends. And everybody in here needs these, and everybody in here can do these. So if you're thinking, what can I do at church to get involved? What can I do to invest? Here's five things. Five things. Start out pretty easy. Be an encourager. I want you to encourage someone. Discouragers are a dime a dozen Encouragers are hard to find. Just look around and listen to our world right now, and people are throwing out, throwing, out, throwing out a lot of negative things, and negative is a nice way of saying what people are throwing around right now. Christ followers, we're called to do the opposite. We, we should be doing the opposite. We are called to be encouragers, so instead of putting people down... Um, in whatever capacity, especially on social media, we ought to be building people up. It'll change the people around you. It'll change your family if you become an encourager. It'll change the people at a restaurant. Let me encourage you to do this the next time you go out to eat. The person who takes your order or the person who waits on your table, say something encouraging to that person, because I can assure you they get a lot of the other And that should never be from church folks, Christians. So, if the truth were known, and if we were all being honest, everybody in here, everybody in here, everybody in here is craving just a little bit of encouragement, just a pat on the back, just someone saying something nice to you, We live in a world of disappointments and broken dreams and disillusionment. We all have heartache and we're all tired and we're all discouraged. And we could all use a dose of encouragement, so be an encourager. Anybody can do that. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender. Just be an encourager. Discouraged people don't need critics, especially Christian critics. They don't need more guilt or piled-on empty words. They need encouragement. You need encouragement. We all need encouragement. I love this quote by William Barclay. One of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to laugh at men's ideals. It's easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It's easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. When was the last time you encouraged someone? Don't, don't be that person, well, nobody ever encourages me. Maybe if you would start encouraging someone, there's that return, huge investment. You get a great return. Maybe people will start encouraging you. When was the last time you gave someone a call? When was the last time you sent someone a card? When was the last time you expressed a word of encouragement? When was the last time at a restaurant you thanked someone for the great job they did and how they waited on you? The first thing people should expect from us as Christ followers is encouragement. A word of encouragement will pick them up, it'll change their day. Again, it'll change your spouse, it'll change your children, it'll change your coworker. it'll change the community, it'll change the world. And we're called to do that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. It's just, it's just, it's just amazing to me that we, that's all of us, how we can be such discouragers and beat people down. When the Bible clearly says we should only provide what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, be an encourager. Everybody in here can do that, and everybody in here needs some encouragement. Number two, invest in being a forgiver. Being a forgiver, they're starting to get a little tougher. Let me give you this quote. The sin of unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys relationships, eats away at one's own psyche, and worst of all, shuts us off from God's grace. When we don't forgive, it shuts us off from God's grace. Mm. Grudge-bearing is harder on the grudger than the grudgee. I don't think those are words. Forgive people. Forgive people because they need it. Forgive people because you need it. Forgive when they hurt you on purpose. Forgive when they hurt you accidentally. Forgive your spouse. Forgive your ex-husband. Forgive your ex-wife. Forgive your children. Forgive your parents. Why? Well, Jesus taught forgiveness. That's why. Here's what we read in Matthew 6. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you catch that? If you're not going to forgive people, God's not going to forgive you. I don't think you really want that. I'm going to illustrate that in a second. Peter thought he had it figured out. He came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times enough? I mean, you forgive someone seven times, that's a lot. And Jesus said not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 7. Some theologians say 490 times. Can you imagine forgiving someone seven times, let alone 490 times? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Be a person who is in the habit of forgiving others. I think I've shared this with you before about someone many years ago who hurt me, and then he hurt me again, and really the question is, why would I let him hurt me? I mean, the only reason people can hurt you is if you let them hurt you, but I let him hurt me, and um, I carried that grudge for almost a year. I mean, if the Lord just wanted to remove this person from my life, I was good. And all it did is eat away at me, me because grudge-bearing is harder on the grudger than the grudgee. And and then what Jesus said finally registered. I want that to sink in. We can read our Bibles and read our Bibles and read our Bibles and read our Bibles, and then finally something sinks in. Because, you know, it never applies to me. It always applies to someone else. Jesus said, "If we don't forgive, then God won't forgive us." So for the year I wasn't forgiving this person, the way I read scriptures, God wasn't forgiving me. So I forgave him. I didn't allow him to hurt me anymore. I forgave him. I think that's what part of forgiveness is: is I forgive you, and I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. But I forgave him, and it changed. My life. I don't know if it changed his. Because you know, a lot of times the the people that hurt you don't know that they hurt you and don't care that they hurt you and they're not thinking about you. Grudge bearing is harder on the grudger than the grudgee. Let me give you another example. Um, Maybe you should ask someone to forgive you. Why would I want to do that? Maybe... You haven't been acting right, and you should ask someone to forgive you your children, a spouse, your parents, co worker. I was walking in the auditorium one day, and God put it on my heart to call some people. It's difficult when God does that because you know He's right. So I called two different people in my past and by past I'm saying from 15 to 20 years ago because God put it on my heart. Maybe maybe you ought to call these people, Richie. And so I called them both and I asked for forgiveness and said, "I'm, I'm sorry if I acted wrong, acted inappropriately, if I was not good to you. And they both forgave me changed my life. Little did I know that this forgiveness thing has huge dividends. You know, Jesus illustrated forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if you've read what was happening at the time, you're thinking they knew exactly what they were doing. They nailed him to a cross and they killed him. They knew exactly what they were doing. Kind of like the people who hurt you. They know exactly what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people are just mean and they don't even know they're being mean. But Jesus forgave them. He He forgave the people who killed Him. Wow. Just like He forgives me and you. Do you need to offer forgiveness today to someone? Do you need to ask someone to forgive you? It'll change your spouse. It'll change your children. It'll change your family. It'll change our community. It'll change our world. I'll, I'll get to why here in just a second. Next one. They're, uh, they're getting a little tougher. I want you to pray for our leaders. Hmm. Let me tell you why. First of all, I ask that you pray for all people. Pretty sure that includes everybody. You might be thinking, I don't feel like it. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like our leaders. Ask God to bless them and give them what they need. Well, I don't want to do that. And give thanks. Give thanks for all people? You should pray for rulers and for all who have authority. Pray for these leaders so that we can live quiet and peaceful lives. Lives full of devotion to God and respect for Him. So when I say pray for our leaders, I'm suggesting that you pray for the Democrats and you pray for the Republicans. You pray for our leaders, you pray for our police, all of our first responders, you pray for all people, you pray for our nation, you, you pray. It'll change the world. Read about any revival that ever happened on this globe. And it's interesting that a lot of the revivals started with one person, one woman, one man. That was, They were just praying, God, would you send revival to this town, this area, this state. One person started praying. I don't have to tell you that our current political climate is affecting our country and our communities and our churches. The current political climate has created division, including in churches. 2020 was the year of the pandemic, and it brought out our best, and it brought out our worst. And then there was that election that brought out our best and brought out our worst, and it seems like every election gets worse. So if you want to be challenged, I mean, if, if you just want to keep doing what you're doing and don't be challenged and don't listen to me anymore, you, you ought to read Andy Stanley's book, Not In It to Win It. Why choosing sides sidelines the church. Let me illustrate why you ought to pray for Republicans and pray for Democrats and pray for our leaders. Andy writes, In reference to the pandemic and in reference to politics, We were not prepared or positioned to take advantage of what in hindsight may have been the greatest opportunity for the church in our lifetime. An opportunity when, to borrow the Apostle Paul's words, we had a chance to shine like stars in the heavens. Instead, to borrow Paul's words again, we grumbled and complained. With one another, with our neighbors, with state and local governments. Instead, we lined up behind our political party of choice and leveraged our sacred text to validate our political talking points. We went to war with state and local officials over our right to gather shoulder to shoulder indoors in the middle of a pandemic. We left the impression that our personal faith would suffer irreversible harm if we couldn't meet indoors every seven days. We allowed ourselves to be divided over masks and vaccines. That still exists. Consequently, according to Andy, we lost influence and we lost credibility. He continues. The, the, these words are piercing. When a local church becomes preoccupied with saving America at the expense of saving Americans, we've lost our mission. Saving America is not the mission of the church. The moment our love or concern for country takes precedence over our love for the people in our country, we're off mission. Here's what I want you to hear. Jesus knew what we can't seem to get our heads around, that when the church chooses a side, as defined by any political party, we've sided against the people on the other side. Let me illustrate I know there are people here today who think that churches and preachers ought to talk about politics, and churches and preachers ought to take a political stance, and churches and preachers ought to tell you how to vote, specifically. And I know there's people here today who think churches and preachers should stay out of politics, so obviously, to illustrate, we've got two sides. We've got people who think this and people who think this. And when we choose one or the other, we've alienated the other side. So it rings true to me that when Paul says, I become all things to all men, that I might save some, there's something more important than politics. I, I know when it comes to, to politics, people can get downright mean and ugly and vicious and unchristian. Our nation is struggling, it's divided, it's at odds with itself. Surely you know, surely you realize that our conduct as Christ followers has way more potential to change our nation than anybody we vote for. I want to repeat that. Our behavior as Christians has way more potential to change our country than anybody we elect. I believe that. Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you vote Democrat or Republican. You know he didn't say that. All men will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you. I, you have an opportunity to vote. Some of you all have already voted. Anytime there's an election, I'll tell you, vote. If you want to change the world, you can vote and you can express your opinion. But as Christ followers, we should be known as a group of people who praise for leaders. Let me keep moving. Pray for someone to know Jesus. Let me explain this. People will say, well, I don't know the Bible, so I can't talk to anybody. Okay? I I can't answer any of their questions. Okay? I'm uncomfortable talking to people about Jesus. Okay? But you can pray for them. Everybody in here can do that. Everybody in here probably knows someone who needs Jesus. So pray for that person. Pray for them to come to know Jesus. Pray for God to maybe give you opportunities to say something. We talked about that with the Holy Spirit and how He can guide us. Pray that God gives you those opportunities. Pray for someone's soul. Everyone in this room should be praying for someone to come to know Jesus. Everybody in here knows someone that you would say, Oh, they need Jesus. You may say that about each other. So if you know they need Jesus, pray for them. Paul said, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. You want to change the world? Pray for someone to come to know Jesus. That passage we read in 1 Timothy 2, I urge you then, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone, kings and those in authority. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You need to know that and realize that. So instead of some of the hateful stuff that some Christians say and vomit on social media, let's pray for people to come to know Jesus. Let's be those positive, encouraging pray for someone to come to know Jesus people. Let me give you one more. Pray for our church. Everybody in here can do that. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender. Doesn't matter your theological background, doesn't matter your political background, pray for our church, pray for our outreach efforts. Pull out a church directory and pray for specific church members. Well, what am I going to pray? Whatever you want to pray. Pray. Pray that we get along. Pray that we have unity. Pray that we put aside our political differences. Pray that we're unified in our mission to preach Jesus. Pray that we have a passion for those who do not know Jesus. Pray that we become more like Jesus. Pray that we're more interested in God's agenda than our agenda. Pray that we be supportive of each other. Pray that we love each other. Pray for our shepherds. Pray for our staff. I solicit your prayers. Pray for our ministers. (coughs) Excuse me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You think our land needs healing right now? Absolutely. think a church needs healing? Pick any church and I would say yes. Pray for our church. Five things you can do. Five things you can do to change the world. Five easy things. I had ten and I thought, it's too many. Let me just give you an assignment of five. Five things you can do. Just pick one. Pick one. Be an encourager this week. When you go to lunch today, be an encourager. When you see someone, be an encourager. Pray for our church. Pray for our... We can all do these things. It'll change the world. Let's pray.